FOMO. What we found, we, we work with UKG on a big study of thousands of people in multiple countries. And the discovery was if you work in a physical office, you are more trusted than a remote worker. So I think it's hard to build trust if you're not in person. The technology gets you somewhat there, but not the whole way. It takes way longer and people feel like they have to communicate way more. So I think this hybrid approach makes a lot of sense because it gives you the best of both worlds. And this it is very complex because it really depends on the job role. That's Dan Shaw-Bell, New York Times bestselling author and expert on the future of the workplace. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens. When the world's spinning out of control, it can be impossible to know what to do and what to miss out on. That's called FOMO, which is short for fear of missing out. How do I know? Because I coined the term and I'm the world's first FOMologist. And this is the show where I ask entrepreneurial thinkers, people I call FOMO sapiens, how they live and work with conviction no matter what life throws at them. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome back to the show, FOMO sapiens. FOMO. We are in the middle of a global experiment, which... All of us are taking part in, or at least most of us, which is the work from home experiment. Probably the largest experiment ever done on a workforce in the history of the world, not just in the US, but across the world. But I do have some stats for you. Approximately at this moment, 40% of the US labor force is working from home, which is up from about 5% before the pandemic. And those stats are not Obviously, just U.S. stats, they're also seen in Europe and many other parts of the world, at least for those who are lucky to be able to work from home. Of course, there are many people who aren't able to do that, especially essential workers, and so they have been on the front lines of the COVID crisis and have not been able to stay home and stay safe in the way that the rest of us have. So that's what's been happening for the last 8, 10 months, but where are we going? That's the big question. It goes without saying that work from home is not perfect. And in fact, a recent study from MarTech International found that just 16% of employees were thriving at home. And listen to these stats. Before COVID-19, 62% of employees reported positive mental health. That figure is now down at 28%. Meanwhile, job satisfaction has fallen from 57% to 32%. And job motivation has declined from 56% to 36%. Now, I was kind of amazed that the numbers before the pandemic were only in the high 50s and low 60s, but now we're down into the high 20s and the low 30s. Not a good situation. Now, the good news is we are going to get a vaccine at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later, and things will slowly make their way back to normal. But the bad news is that we can't just go back to the way we used to do things. We can only go forward. And that's why I invited Dan Schaubel to come back onto FOMO Sapiens to talk about his just-published 2021 Workplace Trends forecast. Now, Dan does his forecast every year. In fact, I checked out last year's as I was preparing for this episode, and it's really interesting to see what he has to say, who he talks to, because he talks to the smartest minds out there about the future of work, and it's read by millions. So you're not going to want to miss what he has to say about where things are going from here. Then... Stick around for the foam moment of the show when I'm going to share my own take on what it takes to be successful in the work-from-home environment and what I've learned about wasting time, motivation, and getting things done. I'm going to distill things I've learned from past guests on FOMO Sapiens, but I'm also going to share what I've learned since going full WFH this year. It's more like WTF, right? And as part of that, I have a special gift for you. Our friends at Cave Day, you remember Cave Day? They came on last season. They talked about how to work from home and get things done. 
Well, they just reached out and they said, we love FOMO Sapiens listeners. And I said, of course you do. And they said, we want to give them something special. And so in the FOMO moment of the show, I'm going to offer you a place to go where you can get a special promotion from our friends at Cave Day. Speaking of things I've learned, I recently learned that some of you truly love it when I remind you to subscribe to FOMO Sapiens and then ask you to make sure to rate it on your favorite podcasting app. All right, so maybe no one has ever said that to me, but I love it. Does that count? Anyway, thanks for doing it. And now onto the interview. Now, the last time Dan came on the show, we did the interview right before lockdown. That was in March of last year. Oh, this year. As you can tell, it's hard to remember. And so to get our conversation started, I asked Dan if he could remember when we got together for that first interview. Oh, God. I'm going to guess January 15th. It was March 3rd. And on March 3rd, there were 126 COVID cases in the United States, and there had been nine deaths. And it was one week before the WHO declared COVID a pandemic. But we talked about the pandemic on the pod, okay? Then we did a follow-up interview because I felt like before we aired the the show, I needed more from you because of all the changes. Do you remember what day we had our follow-up interview? I'm going to say middle of April, so April 15th. Three weeks later, March 25th. What? Cases had jumped from 126 <laughs> to 85,000 at that point. And do you remember when the podcast came out? May 1st. April 16th, 640,000 cases. <laughs> I'm failing this exam. Here's the point of this whole test. We had learned a lot by the time we did the show, but so much has happened since that I had to have you back on FOMO Sapiens to talk about work from home, to talk about the trends you're seeing. And so that's what I want to do. And so you have just come out with your top 10 workplace trends for 2021. But I went back to look at what you said about 2020 last year, because, uh, you know, it's been read by millions of people, right? So I looked back at last year and guess what, Dan, there was nothing about never leaving your house and doing everything on Zoom. In your 2021 predictions, which I looked over and, and, and we'll, at the end, we'll tell people where to find them. You kind of, I would say, had kind of three buckets of predictions, okay? The first one is about how we work, okay? It's like where we, where we are, if we're at the office or at home, if we're in a secondary city or if we're like in a, a major city. That, so it's all about like just how we work. The second is about how we relate to our employers because that's changing the way that we view employers in our lives. And the third is about racial and gender equity. So I want to start, we're going to do each one of these, but let's start. You look surprised. You like, you have a look on your face like, No, wow. no, you put a lot of thought into this. And, and I totally agree with everything you just said in terms of how you would take the 10 and split them into uh, larger categories. Well, we don't mess around on FOMO sapiens. So let's start with how we work. What does working look like in 2021? I think even though we just heard that Pfizer has a vaccine that is 90% effective and we might get that rolled out within the next year. I think people are still going to be slow to go back into the workplaces and then the capacity per office is still going to be potentially in half. So based on all my conversations with executives and research, it's this hybrid model. For instance, Sodexo is the best example. I talked to the head of HR and she said there's they have a team A and a team B. So you know, a few days a week, team A goes to the office. The other days, team B goes to the office, right? So you're, you're assigning groups 
And that means you're fair to everyone because everyone spends an equal amount of time in the office versus outside the office. And that, that's kind of like the best of both worlds. And a lot of professors have come out and said that this hybrid approach is really good so that you can manage flexibility and your time better, right? And have more autonomy and control, but also, you know, have that face-to-face interaction and, and a uh, level of trust and commitment in your organization because, what we found, we, we work with UKG on a big study of thousands of people in multiple countries, and the discovery was if you work in a physical office, you are more trusted than a remote worker. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to build trust if you're not in person. The technology gets you somewhat there, but not the whole way. It takes way longer, and people feel like they have to communicate way more. So I think this hybrid approach makes a lot of sense because it gives you the best of both worlds. And this is very complex because it really depends on the job role, right? If you're a grocery store worker, you're going to be on site. And sadly, a fifth of all grocery store workers nationwide have COVID. Wow. And so I think it's a hybrid approach of how we're living and working. And it and it's complex because of each individual situation. And so as we know that now, so I think a lot of people were in denial. I remember when you and I met. I was thinking like I, this was pre even me thinking about going into some sort of quarantine, but then it's like, well, it'll be two weeks. And then eventually I ended up buying the new, you know, double computer screen and I got the keyboard and I got the, all the accoutrements of homework. And so I guess for somebody who says this may be my reality for at least another year or who knows how much longer, what should we all be doing in terms of our home setups to be prepared for that? 50% of all people who work remote have a designated room for their office, which I think is really interesting. And uh, about a fourth of people who never work remote a day in their life work remote for the first time in March, right? So a lot of people were starting to invest in the home office. And I think the investment is going to pay off. I actually, my view of like home ownership has completely changed throughout this process too, because if you have a home, it's like an advantage during a pandemic because there's more space. So I think all this investment in your home office is going to pay dividends in the future because this is not the last pandemic. And and so like the value you're putting in and the money you're spending right now is going to have a long-term value. You just don't know it yet. Like there's so much that's unclear, but I think that it will pay off. And I mean, as you can, you, you know, you can't see this, but I've invested a lot in uh, an autonomous desk that goes up and down that allows me to, you know, speak and and hold conversations with people, but then also relax if I'm trying to write. So I think that this technology in the home office is is here to stay because we don't know what we don't know. And it's better to prepare for the unknown in that respect. For for these companies like the Twitters of the world that say, we're going to go full time. Question is like, it's not cheap to buy that fancy debt. I mean, your setup is, I'm looking at it over here. It's, you've got like a class A setup over there. That's not cheap. Who's paying for this? And do we expect that companies that have gone full remote are going to are going to keep going? It's split. A lot of technology companies are giving a stipend for people's home offices, whereas others aren't. Right. And so there's more that's being expected that way. And then the other way that employers are looking at this is, hey, you're saving all this money on commuting costs. Maybe if you have a family of one car now instead of two. And so that's being used for your home office, so we shouldn't have to pay for it. In terms of how companies are going to proceed with remote work, this is also interesting because we can look at the past. Uh, Best Buy was pretty much, besides people who worked in the actual stores, 
they were fully remote. And then what happened was they had a CEO change up and the CEO, and I don't know this hundred percent for a fact, but we see the same thing at Yahoo. So there's multiple examples to prove, you know, how this all, all worked is when Marissa Mayer came into Yahoo, just like the CEO, a, a new CEO came into Best Buy, they had all these people working remote and they said, Hey, we feel like we lose control. If we want to build a corporate culture, we want people in the office. So they went from remote to back in the office. And therefore, as those two examples hold from the past, now I think that you will see potentially some of these companies revert, maybe not to fully working in physical office spaces, but again, back to the hybrid model. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. netsuite.com slash FOMO. Earlier on uh, today, we talked a little bit about issues around um, just politics and co companies having what they stand for. And that gets to the second part of what we, you talk about in, in your survey, which is sort of what, how do we relate to our employers? What is the role of the employer in our lives? And it's funny because we, you know, living in this highly capitalist society, we're always talking about like, you know, what is the role of business and what is the role of employer? And people are looking, it seems according to what you're finding, people want more from their employer than simply the paycheck, right? So what is the, what is the expectation of employees from their companies, whether it comes to values, but also just in terms of what the, what the employer provides to them outside of a paycheck? Employers have to do more and be more now, more than ever before. And last year was the start of this, where the business roundtable said that you know businesses can't just make a profit; they have to support the community and in, in all stakeholders, employees, customers, the public, et cetera, not just the shareholders. So that kind of opened up the larger conversation about a business's role in society. And now. That's taken on a whole new, again, like the death of George Floyd, I think this shined the spotlight of it, and as well as the recession and the pandemic, all this stuff coming together has made employees and job seekers and just professionals at large say, hey, what is my company or what are companies doing about this? What are So for instance, asking questions that they would normally not ask, what are you doing to protect my health and safety at work? Right? They, I don't think they really asked that even a year ago. Uh, how are you giving me flexibility? Are you going to be supporting me in terms of paid time off and childcare support? You know, what, what political stances do you have? You know, are you selling to any vendors or big companies that are doing harm to the world, for instance? Um, so in, these employers have had to take on these added responsibilities that they weren't founded on per se, but some companies have been really smart about this. 
And I think what it all boils down to is corporate values. And it's not just saying corporate values, but living those values. So if you go to a lot of corporate sites and or you just Google, you know, XYZ company and then values, you'll get a list of their values. So the best example that I like to use is Ben and Jerry's. They, one of their values is to fight for racial justice. And literally, they have an ice cream flavor called Justice Remixed. <laughs> and the founders protested during you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and, and uh, marches. So it's, not, it's more than just putting it on the website. It's living that and, and really committing to those values. And when you do that, then people understand not only, not only what you stand for, uh, but what you don't stand for or what you're not really focused on. And I got into this really interesting conversation with John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods. And I was like, okay, what's your role in this? Like, what are you doing to support society? I was just curious because this is, this is the question for businesses right now. And he said that they stand for several values or several, several, you know, they have several focus areas of what they're trying to do in terms of healthy food and living, et cetera. But if it, if it, if what happens in the world doesn't fall under those categories, he doesn't do anything about it. He only focuses on those things. And that got me thinking. It's like a, a single business can't solve all the world's problems, right? But if they can stick to a subset of problems that they really want to focus on, that makes sense for them. So obviously, if you're selling food in a grocery store or Whole Foods, you know, having healthy food is a start. It's overpriced, whatever. It's a start, though. And therefore, they can focus more on those missions because they can't do everything. It's like you spread yourself too thin. And so I think that that strategy resonated a lot with me because you can't do more and be more to every single person in the world, but you can make your impact in your own way. And it has to make sense. That story needs to make sense to all stakeholders, but you can't just sit on the sidelines. And posting on social media that you believe in Black Lives Matter or or that you, you know, have certain values is just not enough. I think there's an expectation now that you're actually performing actions in a way in which there wasn't even a year ago. Yeah. Hashtag activism. I've written about this and we've talked about it on the podcast and we had a full moment of the show several months ago about a business pledge for racial equity and the fact that lots of companies do, you know, the old way. I think that the 2020 word is performative actions. It's like we we put something on on social media, but we don't actually do something. And I guess what you're saying, and I, and I, I think it's really insightful, is companies that stick within their lane and look to prom- take action in areas where they can actually do something rather than simply saying lots of pretty things on social media, not only is that just better policy, but they actually can have an impact where others wouldn't. So, you know, maybe Starbucks isn't going to be able to make impact on certain issues, but when it comes to racial equity, they can close down their stores and train all of their employees and they can change their policies to make their spaces more inviting, which is the perfect transition to the third part of what we're going to talk about today, which is the importance in in the workplace. The, I mean, it's always been important, but obviously there's a whole new conversation that's happening around racial and gender equity. And so what do you see coming forward in the workplace? Because there was a huge surge of activity. And then this year has had so much going on that I think we've seen the conversation has moved in different directions and it's so hard for people to maintain momentum, but these problems aren't going away and the solutions need to be present. So what are you seeing coming forward in how businesses are going to deal with these issues? First off, I think some of these issues around paid sick leave 
in childcare and giving employees the safety and security through, let's say, the desanitization of office spaces at a bare minimum. They're needed more now more than ever before because let's just say childcare and paid sick leave combined have the lack of them have limited a woman's potential in the workplace because I mean, it even we're in 2020 heading into 2021 and women do more in the household still. And during this pandemic, their mothers, wives, not, not in all cases, mothers, wives, um, workers doing a lot of the household, you know, chores and potentially teachers, depending on how old the children are. So they have all these hats. They didn't per se sign up for everything, but now they've been doing most of that or a lot of it compared to men on average. And that has removed over a million women from the workforce. And so women have lost a lot of uh, traction because of this pandemic. And it's not just about what companies can do. Truthfully, for a lot of what we talk about, the government would have to get involved because in other countries, they don't have to worry about any of this. But for us, it's not provided and it's not mandatory. The company that has done the most, and there's been a lot of push for them to do a lot, the company that offers the most maternal paternal leave is Netflix. Uh, but after that, the numbers go way down. So it's, and that's one company. And so I think, yes, companies can do more, but I would even say the government needs to come in at that point because it just, it's just so vital. It's, we, we, not just women, but African-Americans and minorities in general, we've lost like it, minimum billions, maybe even a trillion dollars of uh, you know GDP growth because they haven't been able to live their professional potential. Now, Dan, imagine we're we, I'm, we're going to do this too. By the way, we're going to come back in five years. We're going to have this conversation, hopefully in person. <laughs> and I want to know what uh, what will what will be the big conversation in five years? I think we're getting more focused on relationships and outcomes of, of work. Meaning that once all said and done, I think the conversation in five years will be more focused on work relationships, just, you know, work and life are so blended. So let's just say relationships, which has always been, but I think it's heightened now because people are realizing that they haven't had the FaceTime and that they need it so much. So you, you almost realize the importance of those connections and the depth of them that you're not getting as much when you're not in person. And then the results of the work you've done, like the advancement in all this technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation, all of this, all these systems that are collecting all this data on us. I think what's going to end up happening is a lot of the, a lot of tasks are going to be automated. And what we're, what remains is the relationship relationships we have to get work done and not the not per se the projects that we're doing, but the results of those projects to prove our worth in this new economy. So it's not like results and relationships, the two R's, weren't important 20 years ago, except now that it's going to be so obvious that they're important because everything else is going to be eliminated. So how do you prepare for that starting today? Because that sounds kind of intense. I think preparing for it is what you do every day. It's connecting with people, reconnecting with people. Um, because we're working remote, 
it requires more of an emphasis on being intentional, ha- having meaningful uh, connections, not just work related, but overall, you know, personal ones as well. And I think it's about really thinking about the work you're doing. So if your job is, you know, you write articles, start measuring, you know, how many views you get, all this stuff. Even if you're not a blogger or a podcaster with downloads, just start measuring things. Like I keep a log on everything. Like, uh, for instance, my LinkedIn newsletter, I'm logging it every single day because now that becomes a case study. Everything can become a case study, right? You do a project that is a case. It's not just a project. It's a case study that proves your worth. And actually, I've always had this mentality. So it's very, very normal for me to think like this. Of, I'll give you an example. I used to speak at colleges early in my speaking career in Boston. And there's 55 schools in the greater Boston area. So it was a great way to practice in a sense. And I wouldn't just go speak. I would turn each speaking event into a case study, getting testimonials from head of career services at Tufts, for instance, and, uh, and getting like quotes from, from students who benefited from that advice. So it's not just speaking, or it's not just writing an article, or it's not just, from my perspective, doing a research study is how can I measure everything I do? Because I know that's what's going to be valuable, not just today, but going into the future. You're going to want to work with the people with results, not that not just the people who can do the work. So I think it's the results and the relationships. Those two R's together is going to guide us in the future when everything else will be eliminated because of technology. Yeah, I really like that. It's a lot of times you look at somebody's resume and it's just a list of tasks. Tell me what what you achieved. And I think in our busy times when we spend a lot of time on busy work, none of that matters. It's all about like, what is the outcome? What did you drive? Why do you exist? in a sense. And if you can do that, you can tell your story in a much better way. Final question. You, you built this office from scratch. You're the, you're the, the, the most knowledgeable person about work from home I can think of. So what is the, the best purchase you made that you love in your office that gives you the productivity bump that you need? I have an autonomous AI standing and sitting desk. So it's automated. It can go up and down. <laughs> and it's it's amazing. And so the reason why it's effective and what I've noticed in terms of my behavior using it is really interesting. So basically I start off in the morning standing, especially if I'm doing a like a virtual keynote or I'm having a conversation like this. And then throughout the day, as I get tired and tired and tired, because you know, standing all the time it wears you down, then I start lowering it and lowering it. And then it gets to a certain level, then I put a chair down and and so like that. So throughout the day I go from high to low. And so the desk goes from high to low as well. And I noticed that, and I'm sure you know, like if you're standing, you just have way more energy. Like if I'm sitting and I'm giving a present, I just can't do that. I don't, I just, for me especially, like I'm very animated. So if I can stand up, I can use all of my energy and that energy gets depleted, uh, you know, per hour during a day. And then the desk can, can move down and as, uh, throughout the day as well as my energy depletes. Okay. <laughs> Standing desk. That is peak 2020, my friend. All right. You can check out Dan's work at his website, danshawbell.com. There you'll find his books as well as the workforce trends report that we talked about on the episode. Dan Shabell, thanks a lot for being here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Tudo bem, meus queridos fomos sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. 
If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show. And I want to continue talking about work from home, what I learned from my own experience and what I've learned from guests on the show over the last year. So let's start with lesson number one. Now, this lesson comes from a former guest, Anu Dugal, who's a good friend of mine, who sent me an email early on in the quarantine times and said, Patrick, you need to set up a proper home office. And so I was working off my laptop, which by the way, was a great way to get carpal tunnel and basically make my eyes go uh, completely blind. And so I instead followed these instructions she sent me and I bought a wireless keyboard, a wireless mouse pad, a proper screen that I could then set up to have double screens. I bought a better chair and I really set myself up for success. And more recently, I bought myself this really cool thing. It's a Jabra 501, which is like a speaker phone. It's got a speaker and a microphone that's way better than the one on your computer. You throw it on the desktop and everything becomes a conference call. So it's portable. I'm not going anywhere right now, but maybe someday I will take it with me on the road. But having that proper setup to work from home has made it much more healthy I feel more comfortable. It's better for uh, all the joints, the back, all that other stuff. And basically, it's been a game changer. Number two, make sure to take a shower every day. It's basic stuff, but I'm going to tell you something. I have experimented with living in sweats. And number one, it makes you look really bad anytime you get on a call that has a Zoom component. But number two, it's just important to get up every day, make your coffee, have some sort of ritual, take your shower, um, put on some clothing that's decent and try to act like you are still living a professional life even when you're not leaving your house. Number three, don't eat at your desk. Do not eat at your desk. I make time every day to have lunch. Now, maybe I'll go out for lunch with somebody if we can eat outside and it's safe, or maybe I'll cook something at home, but I make sure I sit at my table, I don't turn on the TV, I don't have a screen with me, and I give myself a little time away, that space to have a healthy break from the workday. Now, the last two come from my friends at Cave Day. Now, you remember the Cave Day founders were on the show earlier this year talking about how we can get more done at work. And so there's two things they talk about that are super important that I think have a lot of value. The first is work sprints. Now, I actually bought an hourglass, an old-fashioned hourglass that I use instead of timing my work sprints on my phone. Because I got to tell you something, using your phone to time your work times, it tempts you to pick up that phone again. And so I just didn't want to do that. So I turn off the phone. I turn my hourglass. It's a 30-minute work period. It's delightfully old school. It's sort of like maybe maybe I'm on a ship going somewhere, going across the sea to Europe or something in the year 1830. Got to keep time there. But it just is a kind of a fun way to track my time, get things done in a very old school analog way. And so that's been a really important way for me to focus on getting work done in sprints. And finally, how do you end your day? So the one thing you don't want to do is end your day by continuing to work and being on your phone all night. That's not healthy. We all know that there's a limit to how much we can work in a day. 
And so it's important to try to end your day with a ritual. My personal ritual is to meditate. I like to meditate at the end of my work day and sort of restart myself for the rest of the day. For other people, it can be having some tea. It could be having a glass of wine. Just be careful how much you have. It can be going for a walk. It can be working out. All those things could be the right thing for you. But you just want to make sure that you draw a line between the work part of your day and the sort of non-work part of your day so that you can have an evening that's restful, come back, recharge in the morning. Now, as I mentioned, our friends at Cave Day, Jake, Jeremy, and Molly, reached out and said, we'd like to do something special for FOMO Sapiens listeners. Now, first of all, go back and listen to their episode because it's one of my favorites. And as you can see, I'm still drawing upon the knowledge that they dropped when they were on the show. Number two, head over to caveday.org slash FOMO Sapiens, where our friends Molly, Jake, and Jeremy are giving away some free passes, month passes to check out the experience. And by the way, you should probably have FOMO on this one because supplies are limited. So you want to head there now before they run out. Now, these are my ideas from working from home. I imagine all of you have your own ideas. And so send me an email at letsconnectatpatrickmcginnis.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram and send me your ideas and I'll share the best on a future episode. FOMO. Big news, we now have a brand new website. So head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. Also, head over to Spotify where you can find and follow playlists of the best of the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you, so don't be shy. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMOSapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.